This video is part of an audiobook series featuring robots by the MIT Press Essential Knowledge Series by John Jordan in 2016. For more audiobooks, please visit my YouTube channel, find me on Spotify, or check out my website for downloads. Chapter 6. Warfare The role of robotics in modern warfare is changing rapidly, and with the most strategic of implications, how war is waged, where combat is occurring, and the risks that apply to combatants on both sides are all being redefined. Moral issues of warfare, never simple to navigate, are also becoming more complicated. Motivation As its broad mandate, DARPA, or the U.S. Department of Defense's R&D organization, strives, quote, to make pivotal investments in breakthrough technologies for national security, end quote. The vision for DARPA's Tactical Technology Office, where, where robotics research is primarily centered, is to, quote, rapidly develop new prototype military capabilities that create an asymmetric technological advantage and provide U.S. forces with decisive superiority and the ability to overwhelm our opponents, end quote. Ronald Arkin, the Georgia Tech robotics researcher, asserts that the TTO's vision fuels four interrelated objectives. First, force multiplication, where fewer soldiers are needed for a given mission, and where an individual soldier can now do the job of what took many before. Two, to expand the battle space, where combat can be conducted over large er larger areas than was previously possible. Three, extending the warfighter's reach, to allow an individual soldier to act deeper into the battle space, for example, seeing farther or striking farther. 4. Casualty reduction, removing soldiers from the most dangerous and life-threatening missions. Several of the concepts involved in achieving these objectives deserve deeper consideration. First, asymmetric warfare characterizes the United States wars of the 21st century. Two contrastingly equipped and motivated sides fight, with each side seeking to take advantage of its superior assets. For example, the United States deploys massive technological superiority, whereas the insurgents capitalize on their greater ideological appeal in a native population. That the insurgents' ideology might sanction suicide bombers, for example, or human shields in the form of school children or hospitals, renders some of the United States' technological advantage moot. At the same time, the dearth of Arabic speakers in particular, and of cultural sensitivity, and understanding more generally within U.S. forces, makes capturing the hearts and minds of affected populations highly problematic. As opposed to air war with Germany or naval war with Japan in World War II, when the two sides were much more closely matched in both doctrine and arms, present-day asymmetric warfare drives a search for not merely better equipment, such as the jet engine in World War II, but entirely new modes of combat. Hence the concept of expanding the battle space. The theoretical the theoretical construct known as a three-block war was introduced in the 1990s to describe the potential for an army or marine corps to be a fighting armed conflict in one area, performing peacekeeping nearby and delivering humanitarian aid in the third block of a hypothetical town. Although it cannot serve as a literal strategy and does not include the essential tasks of nation building that were undertaken in Iraq, the complexity of modern war makes application of classical military doctrines problematic. 
When the field of battle is no longer defined by sides that capture territory, the role of the armed forces, especially on the ground, can change dramatically. As far as force multiplication goes, the composition of a modern army or navy is considerably different from what it was two generations ago. Public opposition to bloodshed has changed the politics of military budgeting and deployment. The military's tasks, establishing the rule of law versus clearing mine, mines, and approaches like frontal warfare versus counterinsurgency, and motivations like protecting shipping lanes versus a war on terror, and combat personnel, like draftees versus volunteers, including women and people of multiple sexual orientations. All of these are different in 2016, or today, from what they were in, say, 1976. Thus, a wide variety of factors helps motivate the development of robotic technologies for warfare and the considerable impact of billions of defense-related dollars on the state of robotic art and science means that many non-defense developments likely owe their existence to one of these battlefield imperatives. For these and other reasons, a closer look at military robots is essential for an adequate understanding of robotics more generally. Types and Forms of Military Robots the range of applications of robotics to military use is broad and increasing every year. The following is intended not as a catalog of the robotic arsenal, but rather as an introduction to basic types and forms of military robots. Air. To date, unmanned aerial, aerial vehicles, or UAVs, have been primarily used for reconnaissance purposes, although Predators and the much more heavily armed Reapers have also been used to deliver ordnance. UAVs range in size from a few pounds to substantial. Compare a hand-launched Raven, 3 feet in length, to the Global Hawk, at 44 feet, about the size of a corporate jet, in 26,750 pounds, or 13.5 tons. A constant dilemma lies in the choice of instrumentation. Keeping a UAV light, and to an extent dispensable, is achieved by minimizing the sensor load, on the other hand, single-purpose aircraft are more difficult to maintain at a suitable level of readiness, especially when procured years before their current deployment, which might entail the need for new sensors. Thus, many UAVs have suffered from requirements creep and become heavier than planned at the expense of performance, time aloft, and budget projections. As of a 2012 report by the Congressional Budget Office, the U.S. military owned 10,767 manned and roughly 7,500 unmanned aircraft. The vast majority, or 3,500, of those UAVs were U.S. Army Ravens, four-pound reconnaissance aircraft launched by throwing them, much as you would a toy glider. The same report notes that, whereas projected total spending from 2001 to 2013 for undemanned aerial systems is more than 26 billion U.S. dollars, manned aircraft still got 92% of Pentagon funds for aircraft procurement. In 2009, the budget for one F-22 manned fighter could have bought 85 Predator drones, for which training and operating costs could have been significantly lower as well. The UAVs that have seen the most service are listed in Table 6.1 here. The capabilities of drones compared to undemanned aircraft and satellites can be summarized as follows. 1. Drones can linger over geographies of current interest for 28 to 48 hours at a time 
at altitudes above the limits of enemy fire and at no risk to human pilots, and deliver high-resolution, real-time imagery, whereas satellites can only fly over these areas for a brief time, do not deliver imaging and other intelligence in sufficiently high-resolution or in real-time, and must be tasked long in advance. The drone's ability to stay aloft for long periods has numerous benefits. Large physical areas can be surveyed, smaller ones studied in greater detail, and targets of interest tracked. One challenge going forward, as with other forms of video surveillance, is to automate the processing of tens of thousands of hours of imagery. Capability 2 Unlike manned fighter aircraft, drones can be launched from and returned to airstrips located far from their targets. As P.W. Singer put in his book, Wired for War, a global hawk can fly from San Francisco, spend a day hunting for any terrorists in the entire state of Maine, and then fly back to the West Coast. Pilots are kept out of enemy airspace, avoiding the strategic and diplomatic risks entailed therein. Capability 3 Drones keep human pilots out of harm's way, deliver many of the same air-to-ground capabilities that manned aircraft do, and because they are mechanically simpler, spend a higher pr proportion of their time either in flight or ready to fly. The F-22 fighter jet, for example, was reported by the Washington Post in 2009 to require 30 hours of maintenance per flight hour, whereas the Predator drone was reported to require only one hour of maintenance per flight hour in a Border Patrol scenario. Combat readiness figures were not available. Indeed, drones provide far better bang for the buck in both procurement and operation costs. In the time of shrinking defense budgets, manned fighter jets that can claim dogfight superiority are an expensive proposition, especially given how little air-to-air -air combat has occurred in the past 40 years. Capability 4. Training drone pilots takes far less time at far less cost, given the extensive and expensive air time required of flight school pilots. Drones can tirelessly perform mundane tasks, such as flying in a routine pattern to cover a large area, much like a farmer plowing a field, that human pilots would find boring and likely perform with less precision. Because inanimate objects can withstand greater G-forces than human pilots can, drones should eventually be able to outmaneuver manned craft. And drones can fly into dangerous conditions, radiation, volcanic activity, or enemy fire, without risking the life or health of human pilots. Indeed, sacrificing a drone to get enemy anti-aircraft batteries to turn on their tracking systems th so they can be located would seem to be an entirely justified strategic trade-off in certain circumstances. Capability 5. Drones' lighter weight and smaller engines make them easier to ship into service, harder to detect, and cheaper to procure. Smaller engines mean less noise, less pollution, less fuel usage, and cheaper lower-spec components. Keeping a pilot out of the cockpit of an aircraft simplifies design, lowers weight, and maximizes all of its available resources, including fuel, to deliver either surveillance or weapons. C. To date, seawater presents a more challenging environment than air or land for unmanned vehicles, so there is less news to report. Saltwater is highly corrosive. Wind, tides, and currents make navigation less amenable to automation. Fog and rain stress sensors for robots in all environment. 
waves can present stressful physical environments for sensitive electronics and secure radio access to offshore and especially underwater craft is limited. Nevertheless, unmanned vehicles' potential for dull tasks such as monitoring or mapping the ocean floor or dangerous work such as mine detection and detonation is sufficiently promising that several initiatives are underway. To date, there are fewer production drone craft in the Navy than in other armed forces for a number of reasons, some technical, some historical, and others organizational. Unmanned underwater vehicles, or UUVs, also called autonomous underwater vehicles, must operate independently, given the limits of radio signals, must have a power source suitable for low-noise unmanned operation, and must be protected from being captured and potentially repurposed by an enemy. Thus, armed craft are a longer-term objective, but surveillance and mine-clearing fall within a near-term time horizon. The Ramus is a converted torpedo made by a Norwegian firm, for example, and there are reports of unmanned mini-subs launched from conventional submarines. The Sea Glider, made by the same firm that builds the Ramus, is powered not by an electric motor, but by small changes in buoyancy, allowing it to collect data while at sea for months at a time, offloading readings from the surface to satellites. As elsewhere, the line between scientific data collection and military applications can be blurry at times, but to date, many UUVs have been used to carry out research. A new UUV is in the midst of sea trials. Weighing 6,200 pounds, the Proteus is 25 feet long and can be operated in either autonomous or manned mode. Payloads vary, but seals, bomblets, and other cargo can be accommodated. The Proteus has a theoretical range of 900 miles on one battery charge and a top speed of 10 knots and can descend to roughly 100 feet. The unmanned surface vehicle, or USV, the Spartan Scout, is a 36-foot boat capable of speeds of 50 miles per hour. It is equipped with a wide array of sensors, making it more suited to reconnaissance than to the minesweeping work done by the Ramus, although it carries a 50 caliber machine gun aboard, along with speakers and microphones for remote interrogation of suspicious surface craft. The Spartan Scout was used in the Persian Gulf during the Iraq War in 2003. The Israeli Navy claims to have deployed the first USV, the Protector, a rigid inflatable craft 30 feet long for surveillance and reconnaissance. Land Robotic ground systems have advanced rapidly in the past 15 years, with different species emerging. One way to differentiate among the unmanned ground vehicle variants is to look at their mode of locomotion. UGVs that use wheels or treads constitute one class, those which use legs another. Wheeled. The world's largest robotic vehicle is a 700-ton dump truck, not currently used in combat but in mining. The far smaller Oshkosh TerraMax is in fact sizable by most non-mining standards and used by the military for supply and reconnaissance. Weight and other specifications are not available, but its drive-by-wire technology, already used for many systems like the throttle or the brake, can be readily adopted to remote control or even autonomous operation. At the other extreme of UGV size is the Boston Dynamics Sand Flea, which weighs 11 pounds and has a gas piston for launching itself 30 feet into the air and onto a roof. 
gyro stabilizers keep the device oriented and level during flight so as to maintain usable video imagery. Although current versions provide eyes and ears, it's not hard to imagine a smart grenade on a similar platform. Tracked. Tracked UGVs have come to the forefront in the Middle East since 2001. Most are produced by two Boston firms spun out of MIT. One firm, iRobot, makes the PackBot, a 24-pound, remote-controlled, tank-tracked vehicle that has been used to discover and disarm thousands of improvised explosive devices. Building on a reconnaissance device, later generations of PackBots and similar vehicles have added mechanical arms and grippers to move small objects and disarm or safely detonate explosive devices. Other models have added a variety of sensor, camera, and software configurations capable of localizing gunshots to help spot snipers, detecting hazardous materials, toxic gases, and radiation, and in recognizing faces. As of 2013, 2,000 such devices were deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan. A second MIT spin-out company, substantially older than iRobot, Foster Miller, makes, also makes tracked combat UGVs, now under the name Kinetic U, the company that acquired it. The Talon is bigger, at about 125 pounds, faster, and comes in more configurations than the PackBot. More no most notably, the SWORDS, or Special Weapons Observation Reconnaissance Detection System, version of the Talon is loaded with a choice of weapons, although its deployment has been limited. Available armaments include a rifle, a shotgun, a machine gun, and a grenade launcher. Although the SWORDS is believed to be the first armed UGV to see combat, more common scenarios see the tracked combat robots run into buildings thought to be booby-trapped, into caves, or around corners before human soldiers expose themselves to risk. At times, the robots have carried a grenade or similar cargo into an adversary's territory, sometimes saving lives by sacrificing themselves. More tracked variants are emerging. The iRobot first look weighs only 5 pounds and is designed to be thrown through windows or otherwise deployed as soldiers' eyes and ears. The Recon Robotic Scout, which weighs just over 1 pound and whose heavy metal wheels can break glass, can safely be thrown more than 100 feet. The Scout automatically rights itself upon landing and, like the first look, transmits video feeds over a wireless network. In February of 2012, the U.S. Army ordered 1,100 of these throwbots. Like other reconnaissance robots, the Scout is also being rapidly integrated into police, fire, SWAT, and other domestic public safety applications after having proved itself in combat. Legged. Though still an emerging class of ground robots, legged UAVs may well represent the future of combat robots. DARPA, the U.S. Department of Defense's think tank, has been pushing their developments, in part through its support of Boston Dynamics, yet another MIT spin-out firm. The firm's publicity videos are impressive. Its Cheetah robot has exceeded 29 miles per hour on a treadmill. Its LS3 robot, essentially a pack mule, has demonstrated a striking ability to traverse uneven ground, although it is as loud as a lawnmower. In 2015, Boston Dynamics introduced a new version of a humanoid robot, Atlas II, designed to be used a DARPA challenge to cope with a reactor disaster scenario like Fukushima. 
the competing robots had to climb through wreckage to be able to withstand heat, radiation, and other adverse conditions, and manipulate valves, levers, and similar controls characteristic of a nuclear reactor. In navigating an environment designed for humans, they also had to be able to open various kinds of door handles, use tools, and perform complex tasks. For some teams participating in the DARPA challenge, the Atlas robot and his predecessor served as a shared platform to build upon if they lacked resources to build their own hardware. Other robots that mimic biological structures are also in development. Crawling-legged robots are designed to meet the new requirements for greater flexibility and mobility in combat scenarios. Thus, the Boston Dynamics R-Hex, which moves on six unhinged legs that are essentially rigid arcs of tread material and weighs about 30 pounds, can traverse extremely challenging terrain. Indeed, the R-Hex can even negotiate ditches and culverts where insurgents began hiding IEDs once they discovered tracked robots could not fit into those spaces. Autonomy to date, the large drones that get most of the public attention are remotely piloted by humans via video links. Smaller, autonomous drones like the Raven can fly to GPS waypoints and can land on their own, but they carry only sensors. The U.S. Navy has developed a next-generation semi-autonomous UAV, the X-47B, that has successfully landed on an aircraft carrier, one of the hardest tasks in aviation. Beyond takeoff and landing, however, a debate over autonomous targeting and firing of weapons has already begun. The Phalanx Shipborne Anti-Missile System is essentially a robot that detects close-in oncoming missiles and fires a Gatling gun at 4,500 rounds per minute. Humans are only tangentially in the loop given the imminent nature of the threat. Because of their distinctive shape, Phalanxes are known in the U.S. Navy as R2-D2s and in the British Navy as Daleks. There are deep concerns, however, about autonomous robots firing on people, whether from an airborne drone or a land-based platform. Three basic relationships between human operators and lethal robotic delivery systems can be considered. With human-in-the-loop configurations, a human sees the information provided by the UAV or other device, and if the firing criteria are met, issues a direct order to fire whatever weapon is possible. One step removed is the human-on-the-loop weapon, in which a human operator can override the robotic decision after the, after the information has been processed and a target identified autonomously. In the future, human-out-of-the-loop architectures would allow a robotic weapon to detect, select, and fire on a target without human intervention. The advantages of a fully autonomous weapon are many. Intense border or other scenarios, such weapons minimize the chances that the human operators will be killed or incapacitated in a sneak attack. At the North Korea-South Korea border, semi-autonomous lethal robots built by a division of Samsung are already deployed. Robots do not fall asleep or object to harsh, harsh conditions or go native. Georgia Tech roboticist Ronald Arkin is helping to develop autonomous robots for the U.S. Navy, Army, and other agencies. He argues that robots can potentially be better than soldiers or be better soldiers than humans for six reasons, which we will summarize here. One, because robots do not need to kill or be killed, their algorithms can be more conservative than those taught human soldiers by boot camp and field experience. 
That is, a robotic warrior can be programmed to sacrifice itself in ways that are morally and operationally difficult for human soldiers to do. 2. Eventually, the robotic sensor suite will be better, like more robust, more extensive, more redundant, more integrated with sensor networks, than the sense organs of scared and often confused humans. Reason 3. Robots lack emotions, so retribution, fear, and hysteria can be removed from the targeting equation in ways that they cannot with human soldiers. Reason 4. Behavioral psychology powerfully illustrates the framing biases of humans. We see what we want to see, or fear seeing, even if it is not there. Robots lack these biases. 5. Sensor integration, though pro through processing power, better algorithms, and lower probability of information overload gives the robotic warrior an advantage over the human. 6. Robots can be impartial. If they act as observers and recorders of activity within a mixed human-robotic team, the robotic element can act as a check on human ethical infractions and other breaches of discipline. To his credit, Arkin is also frank about the potential for ethical failures of robotic warfare. Technical, political, operational, and human rights issues are only beginning to be explored. Concerned organizations such as Human Rights Watch and the United Nations have raised cogent arguments. For example, who will assess the danger posed by robotic warfare to civilian populations, with human judgment invariably clouded by bad or missing information, deception, or mistaken narrative framing? How will the limits of augment or artificial intelligence rules engines be recognized and respected? In many Arab countries, guns are sometimes fired toward the sky at celebrations like weddings. It is not difficult to imagine an autonomous aircraft spotting gunfire from an AK-47 and retaliating, for example. Although this example is hypothetical, another is not. In 2008, a United States airstrike was reported to have killed 47 members of a wedding party escorting the bride to her groom's house in Afghanistan, including 39 women and children. An Afghan inquiry claimed none of the dead were connected to al-Qaeda or the Taliban. No U.S. inquiry findings were ever made public. Will a robot be able to recognize and act on signals of surrender? And will vanquished fighters surrender to machines, an act that in some cultures would reflect cowardice? Who will be responsible for a robotic kill gone wrong? The robot's manufacturer? The robotic computer programmer? The pilot or video analyst operating or overseeing the robot, who could be a contractor and not a combatant? The presiding officer? The commander-in-chief? The list goes on. What will happen if going to war becomes too easy, given the lower probability of human military casualties? What will happen if going to war or fighting a war involves microsecond decisions, much like those in Wall Street high-frequency trading? If algorithms are fighting algorithms, first-mover advantage could be substantial. If warring nations can kill enemy warfighters with little or no danger to their own, will such wars be viewed as unjust? Will the technical problem of facial recognition, lethal and non-lethal weapons, such as rubber bullets or sonic weapons, potential radio interference, false positives and false negatives, ever be satisfactorily solved? What happens when the robot refuses an human order or override, or warfighters hesitate to second-guess second guess a computer? 
In 1988, an early automated guided missile system called Aegis on the USS Vincennes, a cruiser stationed off the coast of Iran, targeted a civilian airliner and blew up 290 passengers, even with a human in the loop. Given limited information and international tensions in the area, it is not unreasonable to believe that the operator could have been worried about failing to defend against an enemy attack had he not allowed the system to fire. What will happen if overrides are made or refused for political, psychological, or other unpredictable reasons, like uh, what will happen in a Dr. Strangelove scenario? How will the vanquished react to losing to a force of robots? What will happen when, and not if, combat robots are co-opted? The video feed from U.S. Predator drones was for a time only lightly encrypted, and thus easily viewed by the enemy. Hidden software has already been discovered to be embedded in microprocessors, so there is every reason to believe that robots could be hacked to the home country's disadvantage, either after capture or through sabotage. Consequences The use of unmanned vehicles in warfare has had many unexpected consequences. The following examples only illustrate the breadth of issues raised so far. The future will grow more complicated still. First example. After the Vietnam War became known as the Living Room War, shaped in large measure by film aired on the TV networks as evening newscasts, and Gulf War One as the Nintendo War, based on the night vision footage of missiles and smart bombs vivid, vividly blasting Iraqi targets, more recent warfare in Iraq and Afghanistan have contributed drone-captured YouTube videos to the public's viewing menu. Unlike the unsettling footage of U.S. troops in Vietnam that helped turn public opinion against L Lyndon Johnson and later Richard Nixon, quote, war porn, end quote, from Iraq and Afghanistan is pro-U.S., often circulated by the U.S. military and can draw more than a million views per clip. Example two, pilots of unmanned vehicles are physically safe, sitting in a cubicle thousands of miles from either the drone's target or sources of enemy fire. The emotional toll, however, is only beginning to be understood. Fighting a remote war for 12 hours, then returning to a suburban life with a family and the expectations thereof is more than jarring. The lack of band of brothers unit cohesion among drone pilots is another factor. Sharing hardship would build a camaraderie that could help the pilots process the intense emotions of their job. Witnessing a U.S. unit being ambushed and being powerless to help is reported to be a particularly wrenching experience. The, example 3. The tactical and strategic advantages provided by UAVs can also convey unintentional cultural meanings. U.S. enemies may well view sending unmanned vehicles to do the killing with no risk to do U.S. pilots as not simply as technological cleverness, but also as cowardice. In the words of Indian Muslim author Mubashar Jawad Akbar, quote, in war terms, if you are not willing to sacrifice blood, you are essentially a coward, end quote. Thus, the, te the technology that keeps U.S. warfighters out of harm's way may also be motivating its enemies to greater resistance and legitimizing new anti-U.S. beliefs and behaviors. Example 4. For anyone who has been upset by an interrupted or lost cell phone connection, understanding the radio frequency landscape in a military engagement is both a sobering and a daunting challenge. Given how much radio energy is being produced and consumed, 
in the form of encrypted communications, GPS, video feeds, reconnaissance by multiple technologies, radar, and attempted or actual jamming of all of the above, it is not surprising that there can be serious disruptions. What works well or passively well in controlling trials can be difficult or even impossible in the data smog of battle, especially given the lack of shared infrastructure and the need for encryption, which multiplies the size of even simple messages and amplifies demand on the infrastructure. One underappreciated aspect of the future of robotic warfare will be the innovations and counter-innovations with regard to wireless control, oversight, and jamming of autonomous devices. Conclusion Throughout human history, war and conflict have given rise to major technological advancements. Gunpowder, steamships, aircraft, nuclear power, GPS, and the internet are just a few of such innovations. Like other military devices before them, unmanned vehicles have great potential for both good and bad. Drone aircraft could transform humanitarian relief, for example. Legged ground robots could become superhuman firefighters or disaster rescuers. Just as likely, however, killer robots could do the bidding of drug lords, religious extremists, or alienated youths. Figuring out how to frame the social discussions that are emerging from robotics labs and the mass production of robotics is a high-priority task for politicians, legislators, judges and juries, and citizens the world over. Thank you for watching. Please like, subscribe, and visit my channel for more exciting content.